Well, let's pray. We'll, we'll start. God, thank you so much. God, for being so good. Thank you for loving us the way that you do. Thank you that we can come to you in prayer, God. Thank you that we can walk into your throne room of grace and of mercy. But we can also walk into your throne room of power and might and, and healing, God, and, and ability to do all things, Father. And you let us come in and, and humbly ask you for things, God. And I pray you touch these needs, God. You, you've heard the prayer requests. You know how to meet the needs, God. You know better than anybody, Lord. I pray you'd, you'd intervene there and... God, certainly touch the family, that home, God. I pray you'd be in the midst. God, I pray you'd help us, Father, to be usable vessels. Lord, I pray for the children tonight. And God, they start back to school. We only get to see them one more time on Sunday morning before they start back. But, God, it's encouraging to see that the children are starting to come back and, and numbers are up and, and they're gathering strength one from another, God. I pray you'd strengthen them tonight and prepare their hearts that they'd be a witness in school. Lord, give them what they're going to need to walk into Lord, an uncertain environment, even, well, there's not even any of us. There's none of us that knows really what to expect come Monday morning, God. None of us has ever seen this day before, Father, but you know this day, and I pray that you'd touch your children, you'd be with them and strengthen them, God. I pray for our teachers, God. I pray for our school system. God, I thank you I'm not in a position to have to make those decisions, but God, I pray you'd give them wisdom beyond their years. And God, I pray you'd, you'd intervene there. I pray you'd touch some parents, remove some anxieties. God, there's a lot of uncertain times right now. They're uncertain for us, but they're certain for you, God. I pray you'd help us to just rest in your strength and in your grace, knowing that you have all things under control, God. Nothing's caught you by surprise. I just want to tell you that we love you, God. We thank you, Lord. Thank you for the message tonight that you handed down to us through the hand of Paul, God. I, I thank you so much for this letter that you wrote to the church at Rome, and then you handed it to the church at LaGrange. Father, thank you so much. Help us to be pleasing to you and to learn more about you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So tonight, uh, I'm going to do things a little different. Well, I will. I wasn't going to read these two, but I'll go ahead and read a couple of verses to get started. And nothing else, just because we usually read a couple, but it's going to be a little while before I get back to them. We're going to be in Romans chapter 5. Um, Paul says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we glory in tribulations, also knowing that tribulation worketh patience, patience experience, experience hope. Hope maketh not a shame, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So we're going to try to take a look at a few of those. Thank you. You can be seated. We're going to spend a little time. But Paul... It is dealing here with, with the subject of eternal security. That is a big discussion point, even in today's world, especially between denominational lines. If you have friends that go to any other denominational branch of a church, I'm sure you've probably had some discussions with them before, and they use it as a slang term. Well, them old Baptists, once saved, always saved. Well, I don't call it Baptist, I call it faith, and I call it book, but thank God that it is true that once I have been saved, nothing can take it away. I, I am washed in the blood, and it's going to last forever. Now, I want to take a little time and kind of do an introduction of this part of the study, and then we'll spend probably a few weeks on it, because the truth is, Paul, what he starts here in chapter 5 really goes about 5, 6, 7, and 8. There's different aspects to how Paul deals with it, <clears throat> but last week we looked at Paul was offering this continuing proof 
that salvation is by faith and faith alone. If you've been able to watch the last couple of weeks, if you are here last week, you know, especially two weeks ago, that alone was our key word. It is faith alone. It's not faith plus anything. It's not Christ plus anything. It's not the, Christ, the cross plus anything. It is Jesus Christ, the blood of Christ, the grace of God. It is those things alone. And he used Abraham as an example. And as we looked last week, what was true for Abraham, it is true for us. Abraham's faith is no different than our faith. Our faith is no different than Abraham's faith. Faith is faith. It was by faith that righteousness was imputed unto Abraham. It is by faith that righteousness has been imputed unto you and I. Anybody want to say amen? Anybody thankful that you can, call, you can go to bed tonight and call yourself righteous in spite of anything that happened in your life today, in spite of all the mistakes, in spite of anything that you thought you can lay your head on your pillow tonight and say, God, I'm sorry for everything that I've done. Name them if necessary and know what they are and ask you to forgive me. And you can, you can lay down tonight and go to sleep knowing that when God looks on you, you are righteous in God's sight. Man, what a blessing. What a, what a blessing. What, what a security. When we get to chapter 5, Paul begins dealing with this subject of eternal security. And so I want to take a little bit of time right here because that's a conversation that comes up relatively often. Uh, maybe, probably for all of us, certainly for, for myself. But it's a conversation that comes up because there's so many people out there that believe they can be saved and then turn around and be lost. There are so many people, Christians, today, and, and I say that, and I'll, I'll look at this a little bit more in a minute, but they believe the same thing about salvation we do. They believe in the cross, they believe in the blood, they believe in grace. They believe the plan of salvation the exact same as us. So I believe they're children of God. And, and I believe we'll be with them together for all of eternity for those that believe. But... But they believe that they, they can lose that. They believe that they can be a child of God on Sunday and somehow die and go to hell on Monday. Well, I'm glad I don't have to live in that world. They believe that they are saved by grace. But in order to stay saved, they have to earn it. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that ain't the way they say it. and They ain't going to like you when you tell it to them that way. When you tell them, well, here's the deal. You believe that you're saved by grace. But you believe that to stay saved, you have to earn it. You're, you're not going to make a real quick friend right there. I'll go ahead and tell you, they don't like that. But, but facts are facts. I mean, that, that's what it is. They, they believe that once they're saved, that they can backslide and become lost. I, I've got several problems with that. When, when I study the Word of God and, and look at that, even outside of the book of Romans, but certainly what Paul's going to spend some time dealing with. But one... To, to say that, that I can be saved by the grace of God, but then turn around and be lost again, that, that is saying that I am saved by grace, but I am kept saved by my works. When, when I talk with any of them from another denomination, and they want to throw off on a Baptist belief, once saved, always saved, and I ask them that, they, they'll deny that with every breath. They'll argue that that's what they believe. So I'll ask them, how can you say that? How can you say you don't believe that way? Here's what you're telling me. You're telling me that just like me, you believe that you are saved by faith through grace. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Is that correct? Do you believe that? They'll say, well, sure, I believe that. But then you're telling me that that gift is not good enough to hold you. 
You're telling me that that gift is not good enough to keep you saved. You're telling me that the power of God is not strong enough to hold on to you. You're telling me you can come to God and accept it, but then if you don't work, what you're saying is the minute that, that you begin to diminish in your works, that you're going to be lost again, they say, no, I'm, I'm not saying that. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. What, what you're saying, is, I mean, I'm not making that stuff up. I'm just going by the, the general knowledge in the Word of God of what you're saying. If you believe that your insufficient works will get you lost, then what you're telling me is that your sufficient works are keeping you saved. Is that, is that kind of, I mean, that seems like a lot of common sense to me. Even to look outside the Scripture, it seems pretty common knowledge that, that I'm saying if I'm saved by grace, but if I don't act saved, if I don't live saved, if I don't keep the law, which by the way, you can't keep the law. If you could have kept the law, we wouldn't have needed Christ in the first place. If you could have kept the law, you would have never needed to be saved. So just because you got saved didn't make it where you can keep the law. But now you're telling me if I don't keep the law, I'm going to get lost again. Well, I can go and tell you you can't keep the law. If you could keep the law, then we didn't need Christ. So, so what 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 they're saying when they say that is that the blood of Jesus will wash off. What they're saying is that the promise of God is not sufficient. What they are saying is that the salvation of the Lord is not enough. It's only enough to get you saved, but it can't hold you. What they're saying is that even though their name has been written down in glory in the Lamb's book of life by God himself, that their works can erase God's handwriting. To me, that, that's what it says. Now, when we get a little further along, over in chapter 8 here of the book of Romans in our study, Paul says in chapter 8 and verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we're killed all the day long, we're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Then all these things were more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what you're saying is if you can lose your salvation is that you're greater than all of those things because you can do what none of those things can do. You can separate yourself from the love of God. That, that in a nutshell is what they're saying. Listen, I, I'm not just making this stuff up. I grew up in a Pentecostal church. I grew up in the Southside Church of God. I listened to that lie preached to me my entire life. I've heard it. I've heard it over and over and over. The greatest majority of my family still today is in the Pentecostal church. I have multiple cousins who are pastors in Pentecostal churches. I have multiple cousins who are singers and worship leaders in the Pentecostal church. Most of them grew up singing their entire lives. They were singing in church when they were in elementary school, and I was doing everything I could to keep them having to go to church. There's not a doubt in my mind that they are my brothers in Christ. They're not just my cousins in life. They are my brothers in Christ. I have no doubt that I'm going to spend eternity with them for all of eternity because of the blood of Jesus. We believe the exact same thing when it comes to the blood of the Lamb of God. We believe in the exact same thing when confession is made of the mouth and that it is the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses all sins. But, but we begin to differ when old things pass away and all things become new. And they think that all things become new, they become perfect. But I got news for you. I know them. They're my cousins. They ain't perfect. They, they're really good people. I love them to death. 
but, but I hate the fact that, that they believe that they can die and go to hell. Even though most of them were, were saved at an early age and have spent their life serving the Lord with, with all of their heart, you, you can tell by their actions what they do. They, they love the Lord and everything they do and the way they serve people and the way they serve the Lord, the way they study, the way they read the book. You can see everything in them that, that they love the Lord. Well, it wasn't until I got older and began to study the Bible for myself that I began to learn that I've been lied to for a long time. And, and, and there's a lot of people that believe the, the concept that you can lose your salvation. Listen, if I believe that I could lose my salvation because of sin, number one, I'd have to hand in my driver's license. I would have to get rid of my cell phone. I would have to not have a television in my house. None of that would work because I don't even need somebody else to rub me wrong. I rub myself wrong sometimes. I mean, I get on my own nerves. I don't need somebody else to make me think a bad thought. I can be right by myself and think something absolutely stupid. Am I by myself? Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm glad to know that, that every time I, 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 I sin, every time I do something that, that would be displeasing to God, that I can fall on my face before God and, and be forgiven of whatever that was that I thought, whatever that was that I might have said. You know, pe people gossip, people tear down others which are made in the similitude and the likeness of God. People backbite, people say things. Those things are sin. I, I don't want to think that I have to get, man, I'd be getting saved all day long. I wouldn't have time to do nothing else but getting saved. I, I'd be going from lost to saved. I'd be like a bouncing ball, like a basketball on an NBA court, man. I'd be steady up and down. I, I'd have to be working on it. Now, we recently looked at where James says that no man can tame the unruly tongue. Hebrews 10, 26 says, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. That means that if I got saved by the blood of Jesus Christ the first time, and that one wasn't good enough, and I lost it, there ain't nothing else better out there. There's not another way. There's not anything else. If I lost that one, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. So if the blood of Jesus and the grace of God was not enough, you're out of luck. Because there ain't anything else out there for you. So if that one wasn't good enough to keep you saved and you're counting on something else, there's nothing for you. Now, a couple of arguments from their side of the fence, if you will. It is true, they're always going to use a passage. Can I go ahead and tell you, Jehovah's Witnesses are going to use passages from the book. They're still on their way to hell. The Mormons are going to use passages from the book. They can use the King James. They're still on their way to hell. If you do not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, that he died on the third day, shed his blood for remission of sins, rose the third day that we might be saved, if you do not believe those things of Jesus Christ, you are not a child of God. Except a man come through the blood of Jesus Christ, he shall not see the kingdom of God. That's not going to change. I don't care what kind of title you put, what kind of name you put. But can I tell you that every false religion, every one of them is going to bring this book. They're going to bring pieces of this book. I can tell you there are things in the New Testament of this book that you can take those out of context. 
You can use them as a one-liner, and you can say, see right there, it says that a man can lose his salvation. I got news for you. You can take that book right there. You can take a one-liner out of context, and you can make that book say anything you want it to say, especially if you're one of those that likes multiple versions. If you're trying to preach a sermon, I'm telling you this straight up. Because I've listened to them and I've heard what they were preaching and what they said wasn't in my Bible. And I went and began studying what was in my Bible and what they said was a lie. They said it as a truth and they read it from a book, but they read it from a different version. If you're one of those that uses different versions and you're trying to make a statement, you're trying to make a point in a sermon, you want to drive home this point, you can use different versions and keep reading the exact same verse until you find the version that says what you want it to say to make your sermon say what you want it to say. That stuff's not of God. That's just straight-up reality. And if you'll pay attention to the sermon and use your Bible when you listen to somebody else preach, if they're preaching from something different, you'll do well to make sure that what they're preaching is actually what your Bible says. Because you can take stuff out of context and change it around all the time. They'll ask, what about things like judgment journey? Now, you say that those people came, and they came over there, and you've got that number, and... They filled out a card, and, and you say that, that they got saved, but, but they just go back to living the same way they did. They ain't no different. I know so-and-so that went to it, and they went to it two years ago, and I remember they told me they got saved, or uh, maybe they were with them, and they stayed and filled out one of them cards. And, man, that joke is worse than I am. They're doing this and that and that. Listen, just because they filled out a card does not mean they're saved. I'm telling you straight up. Just because they sat there, do I believe they were convicted? Absolutely, with all my heart. Do I believe the power of God was speaking to them in that conversion tent? We prayed for it. There ain't a doubt in my mind. Do I believe they felt the conviction or drawing of the Holy Spirit of God? Absolutely, with everything in me, I do. Do I believe they wanted to be saved? Yes, but not enough to change their life. What I think is what they didn't want, and, and listen, I, I ain't talking out of both sides of my mouth. I'm a perfect example of this. I'll look at it here in just a minute. But what I think they wanted was to avoid that hell pit that they saw. They don't want to go to hell. They just don't want a Lord over their life. So, so they, they say a little prayer with lip service, and they fill out a little something and put it in and hope that's enough. It's not. If the heart doesn't change, if the life doesn't change, then, then the salvation hasn't taken place. All I can tell you is it is a full certainty to me that if nothing changed on the outside, then nothing changed on the inside. If the visible fruit didn't change, then the invisible root didn't change. They're still planted by the same stream. They're still headed to the same hell. They may have prayed with their lips, but they did not pray with their heart. They did not surrender their life to Christ. Listen, I ain't just talking out of both sides of my mouth. This ain't something I don't know what I'm talking about. That's me in a nutshell. I grew up in that old Pentecostal church. I didn't want to go to hell as much as anybody alive. I can't tell you how many times I walked down the aisle of that little old church and got down, most of the time I got on this side, got down front and prayed. I can't tell you how many times I asked God to forgive me for what I'd done because Lord knows I needed it. I, I can't tell you how many times I even asked God to save me. Here's my problem. I just want to be saved because I didn't want to go to hell. I scared to death of that. But I didn't plan on doing nothing no different. I didn't plan on nobody telling me what to do. I didn't even plan on being back church next Sunday except I knew mama was going to make me. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody else, anybody else get drugged to church when you grew up? I, I was only in church because I was, I was made to go to church. But because I was taught the scriptures, I knew that I needed to be saved. If I didn't want to go to hell, that was the only way out. But I wanted to live like I wanted to live. I wanted to pray 
Lord, save me. I, I wanted fire insurance without surrender. I, I, wanted, I wanted a Savior. I just didn't want a Lord over my life. I just wanted to be able to do what I wanted to do and live the way I wanted to live and, and not have to go to hell for it. Well, it don't work quite like that. When we surrender to Christ, He is our Savior, but He is Lord over our life. There was never a day when I was growing up that I got up from that altar and that I walked back up to my pew and that I sat down that I felt any different. There was never once that I felt because in my heart I hadn't surrendered anything. All, all I had done was ask the Lord to, to forgive me. But, but on the day, man I, man, I was 24 years old before that day at New Hope, when I finally went to church one day because I chose to. Y'all have heard the story, and yes, Robin did make me. Well, let's just say if I was going to have any peace for a while in my life, I was going to have to heed to my girlfriend's desires and go to church. But man, what a day. What a day. <laughs> what a day when you, when you finally, when you had to make a choice to go. You've heard me share it before. I won't do that, but the car broke down the whole nine yards. I had to go through a lot. The devil did everything he could to keep me from getting there that day. I think the devil could see something. I think he could see the angels stirring around me. I think he could see God was up to something in my life. I think, I, I know he can't see down the road. I know he, he can't see the future. But, but I think he can see what the angels are doing. I think he could see some of the stuff. Because I can tell you, he went to every length to keep me out of that church that day. And it worked. I called her and told her I wasn't going to be able to go because of all that. And, well, we won't get into that. But that was not a popular answer. And so the answer changed. Thank God the answer changed. Because God didn't have to give me another chance. He was giving me a chance right then. So, so on, on that day, though, the thing that's different, when the Holy Spirit drew me, as I walked down there, everything in me changed. I, I, I got up that day different. I, I, everything in me was different. Anybody have a different moment in your life? If you don't, you need to come to and get saved tonight. You have a day when all things passed away. Behold, all things become new. Some of us even on a, on a conversion trail, ain't it? Come on, Greg. Some of, some of us proof that judgment journey works. That's a testimony sitting right there. There's a day when everything changed. That was that, was that day. So the, the thing that was different, I probably prayed the same words. But what was different was the position of the heart. So just because somebody comes up and says with their lips, well, well I, I got saved, it's the heart that has to pray, not the lips. It's one of the reasons I'm so adamant in, in an invitation. I don't have a little magic poem for you. I don't have a prayer. You don't get to say this and go home and go to heaven. This has got to be from your heart. That's why it matters to me because I'm one of the ones that prayed and prayed and prayed and still got up lost and lost and lost. I, I wanted, I didn't want to go to hell. I wanted to, to ask to be forgiven, but I just didn't want to change. I understand the difference of, of lip service and, and actually wanting to be different. Now, so that's one of their arguments is that, well, people say they get saved at a Baptist church and they, they go on living like they were. Well, I'm not the judge of that. I'm just telling you what I believe. And the Bible says I shall know a tree by the fruit. And I'm, and I'm going to judge it by the fruit. That don't make me a judge. That makes me a fruit inspector. That makes me an observer. If you're telling me you're a peach tree and all you're putting out is bananas, i got a pretty good idea you ain't a peach tree. So, so another argument they have is that if you tell somebody um, that, that their security is eternal, they say, well, what you're doing is you're giving them a, a license to go out and live in sin. That now that they're saved, I mean, 
What difference does it make how they live? It doesn't matter if they sin or don't sin. Well, if, if they would just listen to the words out of their mouth, that wouldn't even make any sense to them because nowhere in the Word of God does it encourage you to live a life of sin. Nowhere in the Word of God does it tell you that you can continue living in sin. Nowhere in the Word of God does it not work to change you, to change everything about you. The Bible teaches us clearly that all things pass away. Behold, all things become new. If all things didn't become new, then, then you're not a child of God. If all things became new, you don't want to go out and live like that. You don't want to talk to your old friends. You don't want to go to your old hangouts. You don't want to hear the old jokes. You don't want to use the same old language. Everything in us becomes new. We know that we can't go out there and sin and get away with it. We know we can't go out there and live that way because the Holy Spirit is convicting us, but we don't want to live that way. If you're truly saved, there's absolutely nothing in you that wants to go back to those places. There's absolutely nothing in you that, that is even remotely drawn to that. You get to where you can't even talk to what was your best friend. And this is experience talking. I'm sure I ain't by myself. You can't even talk to what was your best friend because you cannot tolerate the language when the day before yours was probably worse than theirs. But now you can't tolerate to hear what they're saying. You begin to avoid their calls. Of course, that was back in the day of the landline when I had to stand on the cord and listen. So it gave me a really good excuse. I couldn't say, hey, I got to get another line. We didn't have all that stuff. All we have is a little... No, by then we had to... We, we actually had a push button in, in the little headset then. The cord wasn't so long. But you began to get to the point that, that, that your mom would call you and, and tell you, hey, it's so-and-so. And No, I don't, I don't want to talk to them. Because if they wanted to call, they had to call that line because you didn't have anything else. We, we didn't have cell phones. So we have a Holy Spirit that, that is in there. But another, uh, another reality is that many people have shortened their lives by walking away from God. As Christians, children of God, saved in the church, Plugged in working, turn away from, from, from God. By their own foolishness, they, they have died at an earlier age than, than what they probably should have. Um, so, so do I believe that God will remove somebody from this earth who is a Christian and begins to live a backslidden life and will not repent, will not turn around, will not come back to the Father's house, will not come back to a godly life. Do I believe God will take them off this planet? Absolutely, I do. I'm going to teach that as we look through these passages. I'll bring that up. But if a, if a person continues, listen, God will give you stop signs at first. And when you start running stop signs, God will put red lights there. But you know, it's a matter of time. You're on the old country road looking, ain't nobody coming. You start running red lights. Come up on them construction signs, says road closed. You lock the hubs in four-wheel drive. I'm just going to go around and do it my way. The, God has given them every opportunity to turn around. God has given them every opportunity to see themselves in, in their condition that they're running from God. He's given them a chance. He's given them opportunities to bring them back. The Holy Spirit is continuing to walk with them. The Holy Spirit is continuing to, to convict them. Can, can I tell you... The hardest time to ever say no to the Holy Spirit is the first time. 
Anybody know what I'm talking about? It can be as simple as the Holy Spirit talking on a Sunday morning. Hey, if you don't get up, you're going to be late. You're going to miss church. And you finally say, you know what? I ain't going to go. The Holy Spirit's telling you it's Sunday morning. You know you're supposed to gather in the house and worship the Lord. He don't mean any more to you than that. And the Holy Spirit convicts and you lay there and go back to sleep. That's the first time you said no to the Holy Spirit. First time's the hardest time. Second time's easier. Before you know it, somebody will say it two weeks in a row. Before you know it, they're, they're missing a month's worth of Sundays. Before you know it, they're starting to hang around some people that they used to hang around. Before you know it, they've slipped back out. When you start saying no to the Holy Spirit, it begins to get easier and easier. And, and the Holy Spirit will let you slip to stumble yourself. But he will never stop trying to pull you back. He will never stop trying to bring you back in the direction of the Father's house. He, he's given them every opportunity, just like the prodigal son. When the prodigal son got out there and he found himself in the place where his choices brought him, he had the opportunity to go back to the Father's house. The Holy Spirit is always, if you truly are a child of God and people get out there lost, they can't just go back to living and stay out there like that. The Holy Spirit is always trying to, to bring them back to turn them around. Well, Lord, help us. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Can, can I tell you, there is at least somewhere close to 100 verses in the Word of God that talks about a man lengthening or shortening his days. I, I want to look at that a little bit. This is all just kind of an introduction to what we're going to be studying in Romans. But Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse number 17 says, Be not overmuch wicked, neither be thou foolish. Why shouldest thou die? Before thy time. It is good that thou shouldest take hold of this, yea, also this, withdraw not thine hand. For he that feareth God shall come forth of them all. Wisdom strengtheneth the wise more than ten mighty men which are in the city. For there is not a just man, a just man. A just man would be a Christian. A just man would be a good man. There is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. He just said you as a Christian are a sinner. You're still going to sin. You're still going to make mistakes. Now, verse number 20 makes it plain right there. That there's not a Christian on the earth that sinneth not. So for those who believe they can lose their salvation, it is a full certainty that, that their sin is going to cost them their salvation. It is a full certainty in the Word of God that the just man is going to sin. So when you ask about them, they'll say, well, it's not like a one-time sin. It's not like that. It's not like... Somebody ruffled your feathers and you got mad and lost your cool and you insulted somebody or, or you offended somebody or maybe you used some foul language at somebody. It, it, it's not like that. It's not like you just, you get mad and you sin one time and you lose your salvation. So I've asked them, well, tell me what it's like. Well, I don't know. I ain't done it. So you've never sinned? Well, yeah, I've sinned. Well, you just said you can lose your salvation. Sin is it. I mean, I, I, here, here's my deal. If one time didn't do it, which time will? If this sin won't cost you your salvation, but you can lose your salvation, which sin is it that's going to cost you your salvation? If number one won't do it, number two won't do it, number three, I mean, if you're telling me that you can lose your salvation but the first time won't do it, surely to God you know which one's going to cost you so you don't cross the limit. If I'm going to have a count, I want to know the number. I mean, if this one won't do it, I want to know which one will. Anybody know what I'm talking about? If this ain't the sin that's going to cost me, which one does? Because that's the one I don't want to do. 
So, so when you ask them, well, which one is it? Well, well it's, it's, not, it's not like that. Well, here, here's my problem. When the prodigal son left the father's house, he lost his close relationship with the father. Amen. Somebody in the house agree with me. When he left the father's house, he took his possessions, what he thought belonged to him. He took his inheritance, even though his father's still alive, as though it belonged to him. He, he left his relationship. He left his relationship at home. He left his close relationship with the father. He lost that relationship. At no point did he ever lose his kinmanship. At no point did he ever not become his father's son, and at no point did his father ever not become the father to the son. He was always his father's son. It was the relationship that, that was broken. Amen? Verse number 17 there in Ecclesiastes says, Why shouldest thou die before thy time? Now the Bible teaches very clearly that the foolish man can shorten his days on earth. Foolish man, that's foolish living, that's being a child of God, knowing better, and yet living contrary to the laws of God. Now you can say, but the Bible says our days are numbered, does it not? Absolutely. It not only says our days are numbered, it says that our days are ordained. Our days are ordered of God. The days are ordered. We know they're there. But, but you just said that you could cause yourself to die early. Yep, I said that. That's absolutely right, too. So let's look at how it all works together because both of those are true. The Word of God says that the life of man is three score and ten per adventure before score, right? So the, the average life of man is 70 to 80 years old. That's what the Bible tells us, somewhere in the 70s, somewhere in the 80s. As of August 2020, the greatest life expectancy on this planet is in Hong Kong. Average life expectancy in Hong Kong is 88 years old. The lowest life expectancy on this planet as of today is in Central African Republic. The average lifespan is 54 years old. That is a very tough place to live. A very, very weak economy would be a mild statement. In the United States, average life expectancy is just over 79 years old. And the global average, so that would be the earth, that'd be all mankind. Imagine this. The global life expectancy today is 73.2. Right there in that range where God put it. So we have three score and ten per four score. So the discussion is, how can a man shorten his days if his days are already numbered? Well, God knew from the beginning the day that every person would be born and the day that every person would die. You know how? Because he's already there. If you could look a billion years ahead right now, he's already there. If you could look a billion years back right now, He's there. I've told you before, he's not just omnipresent as in all around the world right now. He is everywhere right now. God, he says we are seated in heavenly places. God's not waiting to see you seated in heavenly places. He already sees you seated in heavenly places because he's already there a thousand years from now. He's already at the millennial reign. He already knows who's in his army. He already knows who's on his side and who's not. So, so if someone dies at 30, that doesn't mean that they didn't die too early because the average age expectancy is much older than that. But it also does not mean that their death caught our God by surprise. They didn't accidentally die in God's economy. They didn't die unbeknown to God in God's economy. God already knew that. God already knows who's going to be saved. God already knows who's not going to be. Listen, it took me a while. 
It took me years, predestination. I tried studying it, and God would not answer that for me. But I get why he wouldn't now, because it drove me to study. And I learned so much that I never would have learned. But predestination doesn't mean God predetermined you, 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 and all of you to go to heaven and all those wicked sinners out there to go to hell. No, God's predetermined because he's already seen you seated in heavenly places. So God already knows because he sees you there. He already knows what your, what your choices are. But everybody still makes their own choice. So everybody that is saved is saved by their own choice. You have to choose to accept God. You have to choose to confess with your mouth and open up your heart and trust Christ, your personal Lord and Savior. But you also have to choose to serve him. You have to choose to walk. You chose to be here on Wednesday night. You you made a, a choice to be here. You'll make a choice on Sunday morning. You'll make a choice about where your children are on Sunday morning. We, we make choices. God allows the choices. So the subject is, if a Christian continues to live in sin, will God remove him from the earth? Yes. Does that mean that he died before his time? Well, it depends on how you look at time. If you look at the average life expectancy that God put from 70 to 80 years, yes. He died before he should have because he died before he got to that time. But, but did he die before his life expectancy was in? No, because God already knew the day he would die. God already knew those things. So you, you can look at it like this. Say a man has terrible, terrible dieting habits, kind of like me. He likes Little Debbie's, Christmas tree cakes, anything Little Debbie's makes. Amen. Come on, brother. Tell me you like a little Debbie. Somebody, I can't see. Uh, yeah, I see a hand back there. I just, I need to know somebody here like M&M's. Robin will tell you, I don't care what meal it is. If I eat anything during the day when I get done, somebody better have a handful of M&M's. I'm good for the day. I don't need but a handful, but I need that handful. It don't matter to me if we eat ribeye, we eat fish, we eat chicken. I don't care. She with me? Uh-huh. Hey, I mean, a meal ain't a meal without m and M. That's kind of like a sandwich without Miracle Whip. So, so just take a dude and say he's got terrible eating habits. He's got diabetes. He's got terrible heart problems. He eats sweets all the time, red meat all the time. Doctors tell him, you keep eating that stuff, you're going to kill yourself. And he says, God says that he made everything good. And everything is ours to eat. Therefore, if God made it to be good, then it has to be good. And if I like it, I'm just going to keep on eating it. And I'm going to trust God to take care of me. That's foolish. The stuff you're eating is killing you. So the man's going to die in his foolishness sooner than he had to. He had a choice to, to change things, to change the way he was eating. Now, here's the deal, and that certainly ain't a big sin, but I'll go ahead and use that since I'm on it. There's going to be a judgment even for what he did, and in judgment, there's going to be a loss of rewards. Not a loss of salvation is a big difference. Loss of rewards. And, and the reason even in that, that there would be a loss of rewards. And I realize that sounds pretty simple. You're like, man, well, you know, glutton is a sin anyway. It's, it's, it's biblical. But the reason why that could even be determined something that you would lose rewards for, you died before your time because you neglected your body. But you've got to remember your body is the temple of the living God. And God expects us not to defile the temple, not just with sin. He expects us to take care of the temple. This is the indwelling place of the Holy Spirit of God. So if we willfully choose to neglect what God has given us, then is that not a form of sin? 
And, and it was for that reason. So, I mean, I just did that because if I start pointing out a sin, automatically everybody's going to start thinking about, oh, I know so-and-so. Mm-hmm. He's thinking about so-and-so. So I'm thinking I can probably get away with that one. But, but with any, any type of sin in the life of a Christian, it destroys the temple. So what Paul is teaching here in the next few chapters that we'll look at, and I'm already out of time. I'm going to go ahead and finish up just a little bit um, to kind of set the stage for next week, I guess. But, but Paul, in the next few chapters, he, he's teaching us there's a big difference in, in our standing as a Christian and our state as a Christian. See, once we have accepted Christ, once we have been washed in the blood, once we have been born again, once our name ha- has been written down in heaven, we become citizens of the kingdom of God. At that moment, when you trust Christ, Our citizenship is complete. Our standing in Christ is made perfect. Our standing as a Christian is complete. Our standing in the family of God is eternal. Nothing can take that away. That is an unchangeable act that has taken place. However, our state is a little bit different. Because our state is based on our relationship. And although our standing is eternal... Our state is ever-changing because our standing is based on the grace of God and the blood of Jesus Christ and Calvary's cross. But, but our state is based on our relationship. And if we don't work on our relationship, then our state is weakened. If we work on our relationship, our state is strengthened. So our state in our relationship it is an ever-changing thing. You know why? Because it depends on us. It's what we put into it. God will be as close to you as you'll let him be. God will walk as close to you as you will desire him to walk with you. God will stand as much beside you, hold you up, be with you, be your ever-present friend, as much as you will allow him to be, as much as you will pray, as much as you will read, as much as you will seek his face, as much as you will desire his presence, he will be there. And if you don't want it, just like in your salvation, he's not going to force stuff on you. He's not going to be there knocking and pushing and beating. So, so our state it is an up and down thing. So when we get, actually our state, that's going to be a little bit more in chapter 6, 7, and 8. So you better enjoy chapter 5 as much as we can. But, but Paul begins to deal with the state more in chapter 6. And even as we read a while ago over, over there in chapter 8. But, but here in Romans chapter 5, Paul says that we're justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And he starts out with that word, therefore, which means because of everything that I've said, all that we've just done, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace when we stand and rejoice in the hope and the glory of God. So... That therefore, as you know, means based on everything we've just been talking about to to get to here, Paul says that we are justified by faith. We are at peace with God. So I pulled up my Noah Webster's. I'm just skipping a couple pages because of some of this stuff I got highlighted. I really want to give you. I pulled up a couple pages from Noah Webster's 1828, and it gives this definition of peace. Peace is a freedom from disturbance or agitation, applicable to society, nations, or to individuals. It is freedom from war with another nation. It is freedom from an internal commotion. It is freedom from private quarrels, suits, or civil disturbances. Bottom line in a nutshell, peace is simply this. Peace simply means that the war is over. If there is peace, 
then there is no war. He says that we are at, at peace with God. That means that the battle has been won. The victory has been fought and, and the war is over. Paul is pointing out that the finished work of Calvary's cross, the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ being the only begotten Son of the living God, he says because of all that, because of that, therefore what Christ has done for us, we now have the victory through the empty grave. Because of all that stuff, we are at peace. The, the war is over and we're on the winning side. We, we have peace. We, we have victory. When somebody is justified through Christ, he has something that the world didn't give him and the world can't take away. Mm, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Verse number two, I'll, I'll just bump real quick and we'll be done. But he says that we have access into this faith, access by faith into this grace where we stand. The word there for access also means admission or acceptance. When we trusted Christ, we're given Access. We are given uh, admission or acceptance to the winning side. The, the war is over. The victory is ours. God no longer looks at us. You might want to take your mask off. Somebody's going to have to shout. God no longer looks at us as sinners. God no longer looks at us as the enemy. God no longer looks at us with wrath. He looks at us through the blood of Jesus with eyes of grace. He looks at us with mercy. He looks at us as his children, which will forever be with him. So Paul opens up the chapter with, with the entrance into the family of God. We are at peace with God. I'm, I'm going to have to stop right there because they're going to be done with your children in three minutes. They said we wanted to try to finish up around about eight while we all trying to work the stuff all out nice and neat. But um, we're, we're going to pick up. Lord willing, we'll, we'll pick up there um, next week. Actually, in verse number 3, Paul begins to kind of change direction a little bit. He's still talking about eternal security, but he begins to deal with spiritual maturity. You know, just like a baby is born, a baby can't help but grow physically. But it takes some work to grow mentally. I didn't say I was done. One more amen in the house. We, t we send them to school. We teach them. We teach them no. We teach them not to... To touch hot things, we, we teach them stuff. They, they learn. They have to grow. The child of God's the same way. When, when we get saved, we are babes in Christ. And we will continue to grow physically. But we have to work to grow spiritually. We, we can't stay babes in Christ. Paul talks about being on milk and getting off milk and eating some steak. You know, Paul was a beef lover. You got, you got to eat some meat. Well, well that, that's what Paul begins to deal with a little bit. So, Lord willing, we'll take a look at that next week. But... But for right now, i got to let y'all go get some children or my phone's probably going to start ringing. God, thank you so, so much. God, thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that tonight when I lay down, I'm never, never, never going to lay down and worry about waking up in hell. God, thank you for the eternal security. God, I, Lord, I pray even for those that, that, that don't have that assurance, God. I thank you that they do have the salvation, that the salvation is through the blood. And God, I pray you'd help us, Father, to be faithful witnesses, teachers of your word, that people might see Christ in us, God. 
And Lord, I pray you bless these students as they go back to school, that people see Christ in them. Let them, let them see the hope and the confidence, God, as these teachers and employees go back to the school, God. I pray that, that all those school employees that are, that are in a dark place, may they see the light of Christ in us, God. As, as your children, help us, Father, to be a witness, Lord, and help your students to, to be a light. And Lord, even at work where so many people are so in turmoil and watching the news and upside down, God, may they see the peace of God in us. We have a peace, Lord. We're not at war. We have victory in Christ. We're on the winning team, God. Let people see that calm assurance in us that they may come to want what we have, and that is Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. We trust you. Lord, we thank you so much. In the precious, sweet, holy name of Jesus, amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you all for being here on a Wednesday night. Y'all don't forget your children if you got them down there. <laughs>